welcome to Learning at the Center, the show where we explore uncommon ideas about learning from Fort Lewis faculty. I'm your host, Isla Moore, from Teaching and Learning Services. This week's episode is sponsored by Procrastination. Students not handing in their work on time or waiting until the last minute to turn in their big projects. Some research suggests this is caused by them betting all of their motivational chips on some idealized version of their future self who will have the time, the attitude, and the resources needed to get the job done, unlike their present self. Welcome to episode one. Today, we're talking about creating community in digital spaces with Dr. Brian Twenter and what he's doing to create community in digital spaces, why community matters, what's wrong with the term decolonizing the classroom, and much more. We also have a lightning round for you at the end of the show, so make sure you listen all the way through. Allow me to introduce our guest. Brian Twenter is a Mellon Scholar, an assistant professor of Native American and Indigenous Studies, who teaches Native American literature courses for the English department at Fort Lewis College. Previously, Dr. Twenter has taught NAIS in English at the University of Minnesota Morris, Western Washington University, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Minnesota State University, and the University of South Dakota, where he received his PhD in contemporary Native American literature. He has taught numerous NAIS courses, including Introduction to NAIS, Contemporary Issues of Native Nations, and Indigenous Film and New Media, and began his collegiate teaching career as an English composition in Introduction to Literature and Structure. In addition to Native literature courses, he has taught multinational literature, ethnic studies, and contemporary American literature. His current research agenda includes an examination of representations of indigenous peoples in popular culture, in particular, television. This project includes an analytical taxonomy of television Indian episodes that spans genres and decades. Almost four years ago, Twenter began teaching online courses and two years ago, he began experimenting with using Canvas in a hybrid classroom. For example, all student assignments and readings were online, but in the classroom, students could access their essays submitted to Canvas and display them on classroom monitors, completing paperless peer review workshops. He's also participated in several courses and roundtables on facilitating intercultural learning in globally diverse classrooms. Welcome, Brian Twenter, and thank you for joining me. I wanted to just start off with an easy one. What do you teach here at Fort Lewis College? So at Fort Lewis College, I'm a Mellon Scholar and a visiting professor, assistant professor in Native American Indigenous Studies for, um, but I also teach classes in the English department. So for Native American and Indigenous Studies, I teach a um, contemporary issues class and this semester and last semester were um, indigenous responses to the global pandemic Um, that was the issue for that class and then and that class was completely online so um, it was asynchronous and then i also teach a hybrid nais class which is indigenous peoples in film and new media, where we discuss indigenous visualities, anything from cookbooks to ledger art 
to digital storytelling, um, film, television, all kinds of uh, artistic expressions there. And then in the English department, I teach um, introduction to Native American literature, and I teach, and that class is also asynchronous. And then I teach a hybrid flex class, which is Zoom and in-class Native American autobiography. I have to remember the titles. I can't do it. Uh, Native American autobiography. And then um, I'm in consultation for next year, hopefully, to start a uh, composition class, which uh, will be indigenous issues as the theme for the class. I have really dedicated myself, like this job I do, not for the money, not for the, you know, certainly not for, you know, because I got all kinds of free time. It's just nonstop work. But I love teaching students. I love seeing students that are exactly where I was. And I really believe in paying things forward. I have constantly learned about Native American stuff. So I went back to school, got my PhD in Native American literature. And um, I took a bunch of Native American Indigenous Studies courses over that entire time period. So now I teach Native American Indigenous Studies as well as literature. How important was community for you as an undergraduate student? And did this community or lack of community affect you in the classroom in any way? So I, I didn't really think about community back then. Yeah, I was in a fraternity, which okay. some people are just shocked by that. And I chose to join a fraternity that their motto was unity through diversity. And yeah. so we had people from all I mean, this was the 90s, and but we still, we had people that were exploring their gender. We had people that were, um, that were coming out, that we had uh, people from very diverse cultures. And that was where I started to explore community and think about the idea of how we need to have diverse people in our community in order to grow as humans. And I don't think that in the classroom, I ever thought about community. And by the time that I got to my PhD, every class that I taught, I started with community. Right. And as I said earlier, you're, you were kind of the inspiration for the creation of this podcast, because um, it, it seems so important to you when you were designing your online course, this sense of community in an online asynchronous class. Based on the Indigenous Voices event that you hosted and facilitated recently, Dr. Gherkin, who um, is a professor of English and Native American Indigenous Studies at University of Minnesota Morris, she mentioned um, creating community as Indigenous pedagogies. And you wrote in the chat, listening and questioning. And I'm wondering if you can expand upon that. Yeah. So Dr. Becca Gherkin is my mentor and yeah. she is the one I met her about 15 years ago at a conference, a Native American literature symposium. She said, hey, look, we have this awesome like pre-doc and you can come here to Minnesota Morris and start teaching. And Minnesota Morris is a tuition waiver school. So there are, um, you know, I think it's, I think they're up to like 33% Native American student population there. So um, I was teaching these Native American 
issues composition classes for the English department and um, design them and set them up. And I always talked about community in the classroom. And then when I was teaching Native American and Indigenous studies, like an intro to it, community was so important that I started to teach community in that classroom. Mm -hmm. And that's where Dr. Gherkin got the idea. She said, you know, this is amazing. Like this idea of community in the classroom is very important. So I would often build the classroom around community, but the key to doing that was that you had to let go as a teacher and listen to what your students wanted to learn. And whatever they want to learn, that's what I will teach you. That's how it used to be. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares what I want to teach you. I want to know what you want to learn. What do you want to learn about as a community in this classroom? And guess what? That's what we'll study. Dr. Dan Grant said that too. She said, decenter the yeah. faculty. That was another comment she made. And is that an example of kind of decentering the faculty? Um, decentering the faculty is is a similar idea. Um, decentering the faculty is more like focusing on the materials, right? So the faculty are not the important thing. It's mm-hmm. what are the materials that are being taught? But it's very similar. Uh, Dr. Grant and I have had conversations about that and yes. where we have discussed that idea of not only decentering the faculty and focusing on the materials, but taking it one step further and focusing on materials that the students want to learn. Yeah. I mean, I, you want an example? I have a perfect example. If you I'd want. love it. Yeah. So for my Native American autobiography class, okay, I brought in like 20 books, right? And since it was a hybrid class, I put a description of each of those texts online, right? And they could go to a page and they could see how long the texts were. There was reviews, all of that stuff. The idea of here is 20 texts by 20 different authors. And the only rules were you have to choose five texts, okay? And they each have to be from a different indigenous community. The authors can't be from the same nation. The students chose the five books that they wanted to read. I I put a, a survey online and they ranked the uh, order of the text, right? They picked their top 10 out of those 20 and they ranked them from one to 10. Whichever text got the most votes, that's what we did, the top five. And that's what the students wanted to write about or read about and write about and discuss. So that's what I taught them. It's a lot more difficult for professors and you have to do a lot more work because you don't have any plan at all going in. (laughs) The students choose the text that they want to read. And so there's no question about students like I didn't have time to read this book because they want to read it. Yeah. Right. They're looking forward to the assignment and the discussions in class are always much more rewarding. And the class goes much more smoothly because the students care about the materials that they want to read. And at the same time, as a teacher, I still get to discuss all of these indigenous issues and we get to discuss all of these ideas about what is indigenous autobiography and even more so 
the students as a community have chosen what they want to read about and they're interested in it because they chose it. There's can be no complaints. You chose this. Right. And it really honors student interest. There's a sense of trust there that they can make these good choices. Mm -hmm. There's respect there and there's caring too. So right off the bat, it creates a sense of community of inquiry, a community of learners. I want yeah. to read a quote to you from an indigenous, indigenous scholar, Sean Wilson, of oh, the yeah. Opasquayak Cree from Northern Manitoba. He had a book in 2008. I haven't read it. It's called Research is Ceremony. And he said, And he states, and so I got this from a review of the book. And he states, rather than viewing ourselves as being in relationship with other people or things, we are the relationship that we hold and are part of, which I think stands in contrast to kind of the Western approach that seeks to kind of isolate, individualize, and compartmentalize people. Um, What are your thoughts on that statement and community then as? you know, indigenous practice, indigenous pedagogy. Yeah, these, uh, this is a return to, this is a return to um, indigenous ideas, uh, philosophies, ways of life, thinking about community and relatives first. And this is pre-contact philosophies, right? Pre-Western contact um, with like American societies. So the idea that indigenous communities include landscapes and rivers and birds and animals and um, the air that we breathe and the clouds that we see and the stars and the sun and the moon and vegetation and all of that is a part of their community. And if you treat literature, if you treat research, if you treat ceremony, if you treat any of those things, like you treat your family, things seem to work a lot better. I'm not going to perform research about subjects that should not be discussed in public if I consider that ceremony to be a member of my family. I'm not going to share those secrets. Those are things that happen within our community, right? And we can think the same exact way about the classroom. If we treat that classroom and the people that are involved within that course as if this is our community, then all of the same kinship rules apply to that classroom community You don't do research about a people unless it benefits the people directly, right? right? And there's that kinship, there's that reciprocity. And I think that that's kind of what you're hitting on here about that community classroom. Unless it benefits everybody in this class, why are we doing this? If we treat that classroom and the people that are involved within that course as if this is our community, then all of the same kinship rules apply to that classroom community. Now, there's a little hitch there because indigenous students who have been putting community first for a very long time, they they get it right away. Non-indigenous students, once they learn the concept, then they start to question 
their westernized ideas of what the academy should be. Mm-hmm. And they literally start to question other courses. So it's a whole different way of not just thinking about how you write or how you research, but what of what benefit is that to that community? Yeah. In the classroom, I do the exact same thing. We have discussion boards and you get we don't call them discussion boards in my classroom. We call them community discussion boards. Love it. And you get you don't get participation points for posting to the discussion board. You get community participation points. You get points for participating in our community. You on the discussion board, it's a community discussion board because our community is discussing things. If your contributions do not help our community, if your post is inadequate, your post is not well done, you're not just letting down yourself, but you've been letting down the community. So you don't get the full amount of points because you haven't participated and helped our community out. You're not just completing an assignment, you're helping your other peers understand this text more fully. There was a there was an article I read recently on a question of belonging, race, social fit, and achievement. And the authors, I can send it to you, Greg Walton from Yale and Jeffrey Cohen from CU Boulder. And they posited a new concept they call belonging uncertainty. And they write, belonging uncertainty may take the form of a broad-based hypothesis for minoritized students who feel that people like me don't belong here. My job is since day one, you yeah. need to feel like you belong at this school. If you set the classroom up as a community, then students feel as if they belong right away. They're included. They're not excluded. And in our society in America, right, There is enough exclusion, and the university should not model itself after that, particularly at a university like Fort Lewis College, where the the majority of the students come from diverse communities. I don't need to make you feel like you belong in this classroom. When you show up to the classroom, you should feel like you are included in the classroom. Mm -hmm. You are not excluded. If you have a special need, if you have uh, something that you need to work with with the teacher, everyone can participate in this class and we will discuss the issues that you want to talk about. We'll look at the text that you want to talk about and we'll do that in a way that is familiar. And if we think about the whole class, including the professor as a member of that community, then we have just indigenized that pedagogy the subjects that we're discussing, the things that we're doing, the communities that these students come from, they have never learned this way in an academic sense ever. So often indigenous students or students from other diverse populations, they will come to the classroom and I start to teach this way and they'll be like, this is how my elders have taught me. So how important is storytelling as an element of community? It's huge. Because that's what we're doing in this classroom. We're telling our stories to everyone else about this subject. In a Native American Indigenous Studies class, okay, the students, I'm given a final exam. 
okay? It's made up of short answer and multiple choice and uh, essays and all kinds of stuff, all right? Now, the students all contribute one multiple choice question, one uh, short answer question, and then um, they can uh, either write an essay question or uh, bulleted points for themes for essay questions, okay? Now, in addition to that, there's a big list of dates that they need to know, facts that students need to know, okay? They're like dates of laws and stuff like that, that they, they need to know this material, okay? So they already know that that's all gonna be on the test. Now, one of the students once, very wisely, asked me in class, they said, hey, what's to stop us from sharing all of these questions that you have given to us, that we've given to you? Why can't we share all those questions and study all that? And we'll know exactly what's going to be on the test. And I said, together as a community, you made the test. Together as a community, you said, these are the things that we need to know for certain. Why not share those things, right? Benefit I'm going to take at the most 50%, okay, of those materials will be on the test. There's no way for me to put all those on there. There's not enough time. Right, yeah. 50% of those materials that the students did, because there's some overlap, right, will be on this exam. But the students are studying 100% of the questions that they submitted. Yeah. They are literally learning 50% more of the information than they needed to know. I it, love that. My job is not to fail you from the class. Right. My job is make sure that you got the information that the community decided that we were gonna work on. This is the main difference in online versus in-person. There is a lot more to do yeah. to be inclusive. There's a lot more for students when they show up to the online community that they instantly think, I belong in this area when none of them have been here before. So the best that I can do as a professor is to make it as welcoming and sense of community as possible, even though it's in an online format. And I am more willing to work with students on any variety of issue that they have, right. because that's the only way to overcome it. Exactly. Is to right. say, hey, what can I do to help you feel more inclusive, right? Listen, I live in a cruddy apartment, right? And I just don't want to have my camera on. I don't want people to know where I live. I don't want people to know, right. you know, the level of econ my economic situation. I'm at a gas station because they have Wi-Fi and I've got my kids in the backseat on their video games. I'm not going to be able to have the audio on, but I'll put messages in the chat. Perfect. As opposed to, you have to be in the classroom. You have to have your camera on. That's not including anybody. That no. excluded everybody from the community. Where do you want to see higher ed to go to serve this new generation, I feel, of young people that, I don't know, I think they're pretty dynamic thinkers and I think they're very empathetic people and I just, I have such huge hopes for them. Is higher ed meeting those needs or is there more we could do? So one of my students this semester, she 
she sent me a message and said, hey, I want to come to your virtual office hours. I'm like, okay, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about your response assignment? I assumed it's coming up later this week. She's no, 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 no. I have an issue. I want to talk to you. Let me about a half hour. She comes to me and she says, I've been in a bunch of classes and we've been talking about decolonizing the academy, decolonizing the academy. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And I said, why would you want to de something this colonial idea is horrible. Let's decolonize it. No, we're never even going to deal with the colonial part of it. Instead of decolonize it, we're going to indigenize it. We're going to look at it from an indigenous perspective, not this is the opposite of the colonial way. No, we're going to de something. No, 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 no. Indigenize it. Teach it in an indigenous way. And I use the word indigenization, but you don't have to think of it as indigenization. You can work together with your community in groups to help each other out. So I don't just put workshops together. Like in Canvas, there's a way that you can give peers, right, their things. And you can just hit a button that assigns them to random groups. But that's not how it works. This person is really good with introductions and thesis statements, but they struggle with introducing quotes and citations. Yeah. This student is excellent at citations, but struggles at thesis statements. Well, they'll put those two students together. They help each other out. My job as a professor is to put those people together so they can help each other out. I can't help every one of my 40 students in my class. I can't do it individually, right? Right. I can meet with each of them individually, maybe once, maybe twice a semester. But other than that, their peers can help each other out. And if we think about the whole class, including the professor as a member of that community, then we have just indigenized that pedagogy. There you go. Indigenized that pedagogy online. There you go. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah. And so it's just really like stream of consciousness, you know, like a Rorschach test of your thoughts. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, great teaching is really all about? Community. I motivate my students by? Listening. The thing that surprises me about Fort Lewis College students today is? They're so smart. One thing I love about Fort Lewis College students today is that they embrace their identity. If I hadn't gone into education and teaching, I would have been a great world traveler. The FLC faculty member who would make a great vice president of the United States would be Ernest House, the board of trustees. A silver lining in terms of education from the pandemic is more people will use technology in their classroom and we will have less paper and we will have more inclusion and we will be able to move forward into a digital era more smoothly because more people know about it now. Nice. My students are always surprised to learn that I have visited 86 countries on five continents. Wow. One thing I would love for students to learn in school is? 
whatever they want to learn. When the students have that moment, maybe in a paper or on a discussion board or in a conversation where you can see the light bulb go on on top of their head, there is nothing more rewarding. And it doesn't have to be with every student, but I have found when I teach in this community way that way more light bulbs come on than when I don't. I really hope you enjoyed our first episode of Learning at the Center. Stay tuned for more upcoming episodes with your colleagues sharing their ideas on creating community in digital spaces. A big thank you to Dr. Brian Twenter for being my first guest. And thank you to you for listening. And remember, with great teaching, anything is possible. Take care now.